Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all right now. You can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Feel me? It's a tough city. Uh, you know, they're gonna tell you why it is and you know, I love it. Welcome in crossover episode tonight. Brian Barrett here from off the pike and we have Raheem Palmer from the Philly special and thanks to our friends at FanDuel TV for joining us as well. Raheem, that was an absolutely insane game. We had pretty much everything we had maybe on track to be the worst game of Jason Tatum's career. We had officiating issues in this game. We had sort of Joel Embiid disappearing late in this game where he had been so good in the previous game. It wasn't a great Harden game either. Where do you want to start with this thing? I think we got to start with Tatum, right? Yeah, we got to start with Tatum. I mean, I was like, I was waiting for the Tatum slander. Like, it was. <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for social media to go off. I was about to call him the Donovan McNabb of the NBA um, in terms <laughs> of just being a guy who could just... You know, he gets to, you know, the champion, the, the conference finals or he gets to the Super Bowl and just can't, I mean, pull it off. And out of nowhere, I mean, three straight threes and the game is over. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. And the thing is, he was so bad early. Un- like He had those 16 points in the fourth quarter. But prior to that, entering that quarter, he had three points and he had one trip to the foul line. And it was at that time, it was the clear path foul that he got the free throw for. 
And now, like, one of the things that we were talking about entering this game was, hey, can Tatum get off to a quicker start? And Tatum, again, doesn't score, of course, in the first quarter. So now his last three first quarters, 36 minutes, 0 of 15 from the field, 0 of 6 from deep, three points. And then somehow, and he was missing bunnies, Raheem. He was smoking layups. I don't think I've ever seen a superstar smoke so many layups like Jason Tatum has in this. He was bricking threes. And then I give him a ton of credit because, and I know it's like, oh, you're the best player on the team. You're supposed to be able to come up with these clutch shots. But as poorly as he shot the ball late in this game, I think what got him going was the wing three over in B. That made it 84-83. Then he hits yeah. the step back three over Max. He makes it 87-83. And then he gets a Maxi switch on him, hits a three there, makes it 92-84. And then he hits another three to make it at the end where it's 95-84. But from my perspective, he got a mismatch on Embiid where he could step back on him and they got to Maxi. So this is something that I've been calling for all series. Go after the mismatches. Every other team in the NBA, mismatch hunts. The Celtics don't do it. They can go after Maxi on every possession, whatever they want to, and they haven't been doing it. And finally, the time you do it is when your superstar finally hit a three and you say, okay, maybe we help him out a little bit. And I'm not excusing Tatum's performance, but finally they did the obvious thing in this game, which I'm so happy they finally realized, hey, we can go at Tyrese Maxi. He's small. Jason Tatum is big. Go after him. You know, it felt like they were going at Maxi tonight at certain times, but it felt like Maxi's defense was pretty solid up until that point. Um, I do agree with you. It, to me, it feels like they don't get anything e easy for Tatum. And the one thing I will say is that it felt like MB kind of had Tatum spooked a little bit inside the yeah. arc. I mean, so it's just like when he's driving to the lane, you know MB is there. And I, I saw that from the entire Celtics team. The one thing I want to see from Tatum going forward is I think he needs to – you know, add that mid-range jumper, you know, get some easy, easy baskets because it feels like right now it's all, you know, to the lane or it's just step back threes. Um, but I, I kind of knew that to me, based on how the Sixers offense had been stalling out, I knew Tatum was going to hit that three over NB. I just felt it. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, I was the opposite side of that. I didn't think he had any chance at hitting it the way that he was shooting the ball all night. But it, it's a great point. Like he doesn't have a floater game. And He's actually not a bad mid-range shooter, like if you look at some of the numbers throughout the postseason, but he just doesn't want to take it. Really, he's become almost what James Harden was in Houston, where it's like, okay, if I can get to the rim, fine. If I can get to the free throw line, fine. Or if I can take a three, fine. But what we saw in the NBA Finals against the Warriors last year, he shot 25% in the in-between area, in-between the mid-range and the basket, and that really cost him in that series. And we're seeing that same thing play itself out in the postseason. The one thing I will say, because I'm giving Tatum a lot of credit for coming through clutch when they needed to. And I do think that he made a lot of good plays defensively, even early on when his shot wasn't falling. But the one thing, Raheem, is mm -hmm. this guy is so lucky that he has so much margin of error with this team. I mean, just think about any other superstar. If Steph Curry on Friday night has this game against the Lakers, they lose. If Devin Booker has that type of game, the Suns lose. And I can even go to a guy that's not a superstar, but a star-level player in Jalen Brunson. The guy plays 48 minutes the other night. He has to carry that team. He has the 38 points. If he has a stinker on Friday night against the Miami Heat, they lose. Same thing with Jimmy Butler. This is the only guy in the league that, and he's a first team all NBA selection. He's the only guy in the entire league that can get away with these type of stinkers. Now he did give him credit, hit those shots late. But really, man, if, if I'm Tatum now, I got to look at this game seven and say, this is mine. Like, I have to win this game after my teammates have bailed me out in this series already because Smart, Brogdon, they kept him alive early in this game.
Yeah, yeah, Smart was the MVP of this game. I mean, 22 points, 8 of 15, you know, all the hustle plays, you know, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. I mean, he he by far, like, he showed that he was the heart of this team. And, you know, it's so funny because you always hear a lot of people say, you know, Smart probably shouldn't be closing down the stretch. Um, they probably should be going to Derek White a little bit more. But I may have I mean, said Smart- that once or twice. <laughs> I feel like the entire Ringer staff has been saying that, but it's just like I think you saw why that you know it's, it's tough for Missoula to come in and, and, and say you know what smart you can't you can't play these big minutes. So, um, but she had Tatum. I mean, like you just don't see that margin for error for anybody, and I think you even see it with the Sixers. I mean, to me, in this series, and I've been saying this all season long, James Harden is the Sixers' most important player, and I say that because. You know, as good as Joel Embiid is, it, you can deny a perimeter player the ball. Like, you saw down the stretch, Joel Embiid didn't get the ball. You know, yeah. he had that one mid-range jumper after Tatum took the lead, um, hit the, the three to take the lead to make it 84-83, and he missed the mid-range jumper. One of the few mid-range jumpers he missed all day because it just felt like he was making them at will. But you can deny a perimeter. You can deny a center the ball. But your right. perimeter player has to close the games. And, you know, I always the comparison I always give is that, you know, Shaq, he had Penny Hardaway. He had Kobe Bryant. He had Dwayne Wade. Those guys were closing these games almost more than Shaq, to be honest with you, because Shaq had free throw issues. You know, it's tough to get the, a, a center the ball. So to me, James Harden has to close the games out. And you saw he was just 4 of 16. He was reluctant to shoot in the paint. You know, he had turnovers. He's dishing the PG um, Tucker. He's dishing the Melton. They're missing threes. And I need more than 13 points from James Harden if you're going to win this series. And I just think that's the difference between these two teams is that you guys have those perimeter guys who, you know, can close a game out. Well, the Harden experience is such a weird one, right? Because he goes for the 45 points in game one. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he duplicates that in game two. We're not going to see that version of James Harden. And then he's bad again in game or he's bad in game two, really bad, bad in game three. He has the explosion in game four where Jalen Brown Double teams Joel Embiid inexplicably. I'm still mad about that, Raheem, because the series would be over. James Harden hits a wide open three. And then in game five, it wasn't his scoring, but I felt like he had a really good floor game where he sort of controlled everything and that Embiid, James Harden pick and roll was basically unstoppable for them. And then he has this game tonight. And it's sort of similar to like the Celtics. I don't know which version of Jason Tatum showing up in game seven. I do feel like this should wake him up and this should sort of, the momentum should carry over from this one. But I feel like, with both guys where you say Harden's the most important sixer and obviously Tatum is so important to the Celtics team as the guy that has all the accolades and the guy that has already qualified for the Supermax well over $300 million. And it's weird. Like if you're a Miami fan, you can't feel confident about your superstar going into a big game. If you're Denver, you feel confident. And I think we're probably in the same spot. Like I don't feel confident about Tatum and I'm sure you don't feel confident about uh, Harden entering game seven. Yeah, I, I don't I don't feel confident in Harden at all. Um, it's just you just don't know what you're gonna get from him. And like I coming into this series, I thought Harden wasn't in the same guy because you know you saw that Achilles injury on on March 20th against the Chicago Bulls, he was struggling. And then in the series against the Brooklyn Nets, he was struggling to beat switches. So for him to come out and have that monster game one, it was absolutely shocking. And then for him to do it again, it's just like. <laughs> And it just almost feels at random. I mean, you know, they talk about Anthony Davis every other game. I mean, it's clear that Harden's the same way. So, I mean, game sevens are historically ugly. So, I'm honestly expecting both teams to just look ugly. Yeah. And 
like anything can happen. Yeah, we, we kind of already got that, too, in game six. Like, it's probably going to be something similar. But I'm telling you, I fear James Harden just because I have scar tissue from game one and game four of the series. So I'm worried about that. One thing I will say is this throughout this series. And look, we have criticized Doc Rivers a ton by we. I mean, like a lot of people in the media, right, mm -hmm. because he's blown all these three one series leads. He's blown three two series leads. And at times you felt like, OK, he should have done more things from a coaching perspective. Like when he's undermanned, he's really good. But then when he has all his guys, he hasn't been as good. And one thing in the series that has been crystal clear is Doc Rivers is a veteran coach that made adjustments. And up until game six on Thursday night, we hadn't seen that from Joe Missoula. So some of the things that Doc was doing, he took McDaniels out of the rotation, basically because he felt like, hey, if McDaniels is on the court, Rob can cheat off him and sort of be that roamer. He did an outstanding job in game four getting Jalen Brown off of James Harden to give him easier opportunities, right? Easier driving lanes, better matchups, going after guys like Malcolm Brogdon and Al Horford. So Doc made a really some good decisions, even going to Niang, right, where he could spot up and hit those open shots and force Rob to come out on him. Finally, Raheem, it only took elimination for Joe Mazzulla to wake up. Now, I had an idea that this is going to happen today. He goes back to the double big lineups. Rob Williams starts the game. Guess what happens? He's a game high plus 20. He goes for 10, 9, and 2. And I will say, I thought he was gassed at the end because he hadn't been playing a lot of minutes. But it took him up until this yeah. point to finally press that button. And if you look at it, uh, before this game tonight, in terms of, or excuse me, before this game on Thursday, Robert Williams on the court, Celtics 124.3 offensive rating, 111.8 defensive rating, best of the regulars, a plus 12.5 net rating. So I'm thinking to myself, like, I get the idea of not playing him that much because he's scared of the spacing and all that different type of stuff. But man, it took him this long to do it. And you saw the results. It's sort of aggravating from a Celtics perspective that you had this button you could push and you hadn't done it till this point. Yeah, like th that was surprising. Um. You know, just because, like, to me, it's just like Robert Williams, like, he's one of the guys that you can throw at Joel Embiid. And, you know, he's like, he's one of those guys that can make things tough in the lane. And I think you saw that tonight, you know, like, in games, in game five, one of the things that you saw was the, the hard Embiid pick and roll. They scored, you know, 1.2 points per possession in that pick and roll. And they just dominated in the paint and kind of got whatever they wanted. You know, in game six, that was down to just pretty much a point per possession. So I think Robert Williams definitely made an impact defensively. Um, and then offensively, that's the one thing that I like. I, I saw that they got a lot of easy baskets to Robert Williams on those lives. Like it just, I mean, you see like Marcus Smart driving to the basket and you can't defend both. So he probably should have been in there early, especially with um, Horford hasn't been shooting the ball as well as he has in the past. So um, I did think that was a great move. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, like, the numbers with him and Al on the court together this year have been tremendous. So plus 15.9 rating, so they're outscoring teams by almost 16 points per 100 possessions with those two guys on the court. So I was, and I know that the Derek White lineup has been so good throughout the season, but White had really been bad in this series up until he was the worst among their regulars in plus minus. So it made sense to make that move. And now you look at it sort of going forward, I wonder if there is a counter for what Doc's going to do, right? Because he's obviously he's playing P.J. Tucker a lot of minutes. We saw a lot of Niang. We've seen Melton. And basically, they gambled with the situation with P.J. Tucker, where they said, hey, we're okay with you taking threes. And yeah, he hit a couple of them, but 
He ends up taking, what, seven threes in this game tonight? He's two of seven from the field, or two of seven from three-point territory, I believe he finished out with. So I think that gamble is a wise one. And I wonder if Melton or especially Niang out in the wing, but Melton is more of a guy that can be a weapon driving those closeouts. But at the same time, you don't, Tucker's kind of the guy that gets everybody motivated, right? So I, And he's really good from a defensive perspective. So I wonder what Doc does. I, I would assume he does pretty much the same thing. Like, do you think he'll make any changes? This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Glenn is in a tough position just because we don't have two-way players in the same vein that you guys have. Um, you know, it's like if Melton was hitting his shot tonight, I mean, I think the Sixers win that game because he had like three dagger threes in a row that would have pushed this lead to a point where I don't think the Six the Celtics could have recovered. And you saw down the stretch, it was just like I, I said it on Twitter. I'm like, he's going to have to pull Melton for Niang. But then when you pull him for Niang, you don't get the same defensive presence. And, you know, Niang didn't really hit a, a clutch three down the stretch. So it's like you end up pulling him for P.J. Tucker just because you want that defensive presence. But if P.J. Tucker's not hitting his three, it just makes the offense a lot easier to defend. So I just think Glenn is kind of really in a tough spot, and he kind of has to just play the hot hand. Um, um, I think, you know, you'll probably see P.J. Tucker – in the game down the stretch just because he does the dirty work. He can defend, you know, those wings that you guys have. But um, it's pretty much between him and Melton, honestly. Yeah, and I wonder, too, from a Celtics perspective in this, just from Jalen Brown's angle, because I felt like Jalen had a nice start to this game, but then he did some of those typical Jalen things. Like, at one point, he's just dribbling the ball at the top of the key. He loses it. It's a tie game at that particular point in time, and that's where we get the clear path foul, and it ends up being two shots the other way because Tatum picks up that foul. But what we saw from the Celtics team last postseason is they turn the ball over. And ordinarily, when they turn the ball over 16 times, they lose. Luckily, in this case, that did not happen. But I was surprised with the fact that 
it wasn't a super Jalen game, and we know that Tatum didn't get going till late. So the fact that the Celtics were able to sort of stay alive in this game when Jalen had it going early but then kind of faltered, and the fact that Tatum was bad throughout the game until the very end, that's one of the things that surprised me. We went mentioned Smart, but the other guy that I think had a real impact in this game was Brogdon early. And Brogdon was really good in the first half, kind of keeping that offense alive. And one of the things I thought about him is, in this game, he was hitting his three. And the other portion of that is, He's the one guy throughout this whole series, I think, has taken advantage of what Philly doesn't do well, where we weren't over this, Raheem, where the transition defense for Philadelphia all season long has been bad. And finally, like we've seen Brogdon push the ball, push the ball, push the ball when some of the other Celtics haven't been doing that. So the fact that you can bring Brogdon off the bench and he really saves this game in some sense for the Celtics. Like, and you think back to the offseason, you don't make this move for Malcolm Brogdon you're probably going home in game six as great as smart was. And he was tremendous in this game. You needed Brogdon too, with the way that your superstars really weren't great in this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, without a doubt. And you know, the one thing I, I'm just noticing is that you, you guys only play seven guys tonight. Like we yeah, didn't see Grant out. Yeah. Grant. I mean, Grant didn't play. I mean, he's been a big part of the rotation for, you know, quite some time. So, you know, that was, that was kind of shocking to, to see. So, I mean, Brogdon playing 30 minutes and giving you everything that he he gave was just huge. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, is just is pushing the pace, hitting the three. And, you know, I mean, it's a common thing with you guys. When you guys are hitting the three, I mean, you guys can't be beat. <laughs> so, you know, 15 to 35 from behind the arc, you guys got off to that big lead to start the game. And, you know, I think how you guys came out was huge um, just because you guys didn't let the Sixers really get any momentum. And, you know, the second half, the Sixers kind of had control of the game, but they didn't have more than a, a two to four point lead, really. Yeah, well, the threes is a great point because Tim Bontemp said this a couple of weeks ago, and I've been tracking it ever since. So when the Celtics hit north of 40 percent of their threes after the game tonight, they're now 35 and two. When they hit south of 40 percent from three, they're 29 and 28. So they're basically a 500 team when they don't hit 40 percent of their threes. When they hit 40% of their threes, they're basically unbeatable. Now, Jason Tatum tried to make it that they didn't get to that 40% threshold tonight, but they certainly did. The other thing that stuck out to me about the Celtics is, and maybe part of this is what we mentioned about the Rob adjustment, is the defense was actually there. Where we've seen too many times in this postseason, specifically against Philly, where the Celtics defense has just been downright atrocious, and especially in Game 5. The defense on the pick and roll from Harden and Embiid, it was just so nonchalant where Embiid was walking in to these easy free throw jumpers, which Embiid, he thrives there. He shoots 49% this year on long mid-rangers. In that game, 11 of his two-pointers were deemed wide open, where the closest defender is at least, or I should say, open four to six feet, wide open six feet or more, at least, at least open. 11 of those shots, he hit six of them. It's as if the Celtics didn't know what the game plan was, it's as if they didn't know that Embiid can hit those shots. And if you look at it, that game five loss against Philly, a 121.1 rating for the Celtics in terms of the defense. The worst team in the league this year was the Spurs at like a buck 18. The Celtics in this game tonight, they pick it up from a defensive efficiency standpoint. And in the first quarter, they held Philly to an 84 offensive rating. So it's weird that a team that made it to the finals last year was the number two defense in the league during the regular season. They've had so many times where the defensive energy wasn't there. And I would imagine to be there for game seven, too, because it's an elimination. It's sort of like there's been this change with the Celtics where they've gone from this defensive juggernaut to this offensive team this year embracing the three. 
and sometimes they just let go of the rope defensively. And that is a problem because I, I, I like I said, Raheem, I think it's going to be there in game seven, but I can't guarantee it just like I can't guarantee the Tatum thing because we've seen way too many times where the defense is just let go of the rope. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was like, I was talking about this on the podcast today. Um, you know, since game three of the first round series against the Hawks, the Celtics had a like, defensive rating of 119. So I'm not sure that you guys can really even count on the defense at this point in time. I just think, you know, we've seen enough through the Celtics in this postseason that this is an offensive-minded team at this point. Um, and, you know, this core has been around each other for a long time. And I think you you do tend to see slippage. I mean, you look at the Golden State Warriors, um, you know, that core who made a ton of deep runs, you know, they were first and second in defense every year. But that last year with Kevin Durant, I mean, they they just weren't defending. They were winning with offense. And I think you're seeing that same type of slippage with this the Celtics team. But then in addition, I mean, you got a brand new coach who I don't know if he emphasizes defense as much as Ime Udoka. Um, I, I can't to me, it's inexplicable when you have these these wings um, that you're not the same defensive team. But, you know, maybe some of that is, you know, slippage due to Horford. Like, I mean, you look at a guy like Horford, right? Joel Embiid couldn't deal with him a couple years ago. I mean, he was like his kryptonite. And now, you know, Joel Embiid has pretty much figured that matchup out. So um, I I think, you know, some of it is Horford. You know, also Time Lord isn't the same guy that he was last year. Um, You know, he had, what what did he have, a meniscus meniscus injury? So it's like, um, I, I think it's clear that, you know, like even, like he played well tonight, but I don't know how consistent you can get he can be, you know, over a, an entire seven-game series if he's playing big minutes. Yeah, and maybe that will be the blessing of the disguise that he waited this long to make that adjustment, right? Maybe it'll work out yeah. that he'll have energy for that game seven. But part of the defensive issue, it, it is Missoula, to your point. And one of the things he said after the game five loss was we had the intention of playing hard. I don't know what that means. You intended to play hard? That doesn't make any sense. The effort wasn't there from a defensive perspective. And one of the things I noticed, like they made the adjustments tonight, but every time they show the bench, it's Horford and Smart. Those are the guys doing all the talking. It's it's as if, like that would be Ime. Ime Udoka last yeah. year would be that guy. He would get in everybody's face. Ten games into the season, he's calling out Tatum and Brown. He didn't care. He was sort of the tough guy on the team, right? Like sort of what P.J. Tucker did to Embiid. Remember that? P.J. Tucker's like firing up Embiid at the end of game five. Like, let's go. You got to get it together. That's Ime. And for this team, Joe Mazzulla really doesn't have that in his arsenal. Part of it maybe is that he's 34. He was behind the bench last year. Like, he wasn't even on the bench. And this guy takes over. They have this 21-5 and start. And everyone's like, oh, this is magic. The offense embrace the threes. And then we saw, okay, maybe you got to play some defense. And I just wonder now, like, going into game seven, I think one of in I don't think this is over yet in terms of the Celtics narrative, because if they lose game seven, Jalen Brown, we know, is qualified for the Supermax. Jason Tatum is qualified for the Supermax. But if they don't win this game seven, I believe like the Sixers, Doc, he's not going to get fired after this series. I can't see that happening. Maybe you disagree with that. But from a Celtics... I, honestly, I, I, I can see it. I'm going to be honest with you. If he, if he falls... Yeah. 3-2 if he falls... A, yeah. Yeah. Just because, I mean, you look down the stretch. I mean, they didn't run any pick and rolls. Um, for a heart and an MB. And, you know, like I, I said before that, you know, in game five, they were scoring 1.2 points per possession on heart and MB pick and rolls. That was down to a point per possession. But, you know, that's still that's still pretty efficient, you know, um, and they didn't run any of that, you know. And then the fact that 
it's just like they got nothing easy down the stretch. Um, and that game was theirs. I mean, for for the Celtics to close out the game on a 14-3 run on the road yeah. after the clear path foul, I mean, it's going to be hard for, for, for the Glenn to survive that. Um, and you have people <laughs> all on. Like, it, it yeah, just you're is. probably right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right on that. But from a Celtics perspective, if they lose – then, yeah. hey, is Joe Missoula safe, even though they took off the interim tag? I would imagine that they put the Supermax in front of Jalen, even if that's if you don't believe Jalen's a Supermax player. With everything that happened with the Kevin Durant trade rumors, he was really upset about that. He had the quotes to Logan Murdoch uh, in The Ringer a couple of, what, months ago, where he talked about yeah. Boston and if he wants to stick around or not. Like, there's been some weird stuff with Jalen, but I can't imagine nobody, we haven't seen anybody pass up on that Supermax. So, if it's not Jalen, it's not Tatum. They're not breaking up that duo. We will see about Missoula based on sort of what transpires here. But if they lose game seven, I would imagine that they look at maybe some rotation guys, whether it be Robert Williams, whether it be Marcus Smart, who's like always on the trading block, right? Derek White, like they have a lot of valuable pieces if they want to make a change when it comes to this team. I can't imagine it'd be White after the season that he's had, but I think everything's on the table besides Tatum and Jalen if they don't win this game seven. Oh yeah, without a doubt. You know, um, you know, I always hear you guys talk about Marcus Smart, um, and and Bill as well. I'm wondering if Smart is in a very similar position as like Dylan Brooks, and I don't mean that from a derogatory standpoint, but I mean that from a standpoint of a guy who is a big part of the core, and you know, was kind of like a leader on this team, but is playing too big of a role to the point where it hurts the team. Like, yeah, you can't ask Marcus Smart to take a step back, so. I wonder if he's a guy that you ship out um, because I think they're seeing the same thing with, and obviously Marcus Smart is a much better player than Dylan Brooks, but you see the same thing with Dylan Brooks. You can't tell a guy who was an essential part of the core to take a step back. Um, so I'm wondering if, you know, you guys may have to do that with Marcus Smart uh, and granted Marcus Smart was the MVP tonight, but yeah. there were times there's times where it's just like, yo dude, like, you know, you're not the, the guy on this team. <laughs> Well, and I think he's in a weird position too, right? Because he was the first lottery guy out of the Tatum Brown trio, right? So it's sort of like he's on their level, but he's not on their level as an offensive player. So sometimes he is a little bit too involved. But man, you got to appreciate what Smart brought to the table. I just mentioned it because he's a valuable piece for a contending level team. And as is Rob, if somebody wants to bet against the health record of Robert Williams, those would be the two guys I would think that would bring you something back in return. So I definitely think something will happen if they don't win game seven. So before we go, Raheem, Let's get to that game seven. What is your prediction, Philly, or do you think the Celts win this one? You know, the interesting thing about this game seven is that, like, it's not until Sunday. Yeah. So we've been going every other night for the last couple of days, and now these teams are rested now. So I think that kind of changes things. Um, you know, I was thinking this, I mean, game sevens are historically uh, a, a lower scoring game that's ugly. But I'm going to be honest with you. I just, for some reason, I just feel like the Sixers are going to kind of overcome their demons. I don't see a, I don't see a Celtics blowout. I'm going to be honest with you. I see a, a close game with either team winning close. I, I, I don't see either one of these teams blowing the other team out. I think these two teams are just evenly matched. I think the Celtics are the deeper team. Um, but I don't trust either one of these coaches. I, like you said before, I don't trust Tate. You don't trust Tatum. How can you trust Harden? Um, how can, like, who can you trust? Um, so it's just <laughs> nobody, 
Yeah, I, I don't have a pick for this one, but I'm going to say it's going to be a close game that's going to come, come down a stretch. I'm leaning Celtics just because the way it ended. The fact that it feels like Jason Tatum has now been introduced to the Eastern Conference semifinals. It feels like now those shots should carry him over. And I know it, like mm-hmm. momentum, it doesn't always carry over to the next game. But I do feel like those shots were so big for Tatum with how poorly he had played. He really changed the narrative. I mean, I cannot imagine what his postgame press conference would have been like if they lost this game. I mean, this is a stinker of all stinkers. This is like going back to Harden when he lost to San Antonio without Kawhi Leonard, where he had 10 points. That's how bad this thing was looking. So I'm going to go with the Celtics, and I do believe that Tatum has a big game, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be close late, which makes me worried because up until this game tonight, the Celtics in clutch time, their defensive rating in the playoffs had been a 142. They were able to get some stops tonight. Some of those were just misses by Philly. They got some good looks, but I'm going with the Celtics, Raheem, and I think it's a 30-plus point game for Tatum. Okay. I, you, I, I'm not mad at it. I just it, it's it's I just have a weird feeling about this game. I don't know why. I just uh, This Sixers team feels like a different team to me this year. Yeah. It feels like they've turned the corner in ways that they haven't in the past. Um, but I, I think, you know, this is a this is the legacy game seven. Um, yeah, it's gonna change the course of both of these franchises. Whoever win or lose, I mean, win or lose is gonna change the course because I, I think you know you mentioned earlier, if the Celtics lose, I think you're gonna see some trades. I think if the Sixers lose, I mean, we could see the death of the process era. Um, because I, I just I, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're, they've there's been talks about James Harden going to Houston. I mean, James Harden like. He was 4-16 tonight. This is the 21st time he shot 25% or worse in a playoff game. So I don't know if the Sixers are going to be willing to pay him again. So um, whatever happens, it's going to be massive changes for either one of these teams. Here's my one lock for our friends at FanDuel. Grant Williams is not going to hit seven threes like he did in Game 7 against Milwaukee last year. In all likelihood, Grant Williams will not see the floor after what we saw in Game 6. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. That is Raheem Palmer from the Philly Special. Raheem, great stuff, man. Enjoy Game 7, people. Oh,